Pathcast. My name is Matthew Dawkins, as you probably know by now, and I am joined today by a very special guest. Why very special? Well, when I look back at my many coloured history working in this RPG industry, there is one person I can pretty much point at rudely and say, well, we've charted a very similar course. I feel like we were both circumnavigating the globe, albeit in different directions. And yeah, we both started around the same time. We've worked on the same projects on many occasions, uh, although we haven't worked together that much recently. And that guest is Steffi Devan. Steffi, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. Yeah, yeah, you have been a guest on this Pathcast before. Yes, we've talked about Legend Law and Mage and probably Vampire. I think we discussed Vampire as well, yeah. Uh, the, the subject that never goes away. Uh, but I, although the subject of this episode is primarily legend law, that is not exclusively what we're going to discuss. As always, listeners, you can anticipate things being a little freeform and conversational. But before we do all that, I want to give Steffi a little bit of space to discuss what she is working on right now. Uh, so, Steffi, what, what project have you got ongoing um, so our current project is Witch Fated Souls 2nd Edition. It is currently on Kickstarter. Uh, everybody who listens to this should check it out. Witch is a game in which you have sold your soul to a demon for reasons completely of your own. You might want power, you might need healthcare, you might um, need money. Uh, you sold your soul and then the demon put a demonic shard in your where your soul is supposed to be so that you kept being alive um, and because you now have that demonic shard you can do magic um, the problem is that the moment you sold your soul you realize that you shouldn't have that whatever a soul is it's definitely real mm-hmm. and you definitely need it in the ephemeral sense and once you die and you don't have a soul you're going to be in a lot of trouble uh, you sense all that in intuitively you know that in your heart so now you want to try to undo your demonic bargain The problem is that requires magic and learning how to best utilize the magic from the demon shard you have in you is by going to your demon and asking them to teach you to which the demon will say, yes, of course I will. I'm your bestie. Anyway, uh, but you will owe me something more in return. So it's like student loans. You keep paying (laughs) back your interest and... um, at one point, hopefully, you will get your soul back before you run out of things to pay your demon with. Mm. Um, okay, so it sounds like there's a bit of... Uh, it's obviously a horror element to it. Yes. Uh, yes but it's... there's also, a. it seems to me, a satirical element as well. Uh, if, if there's uh, that sort of debt repayment analogy uh, that feels very, I guess contemporary it's something an awful lot of us are going through right now yes it's not satirical but anyone who knows me will definitely read the game and go like oh yeah yeah steffi was anti-capitalist and she doesn't like fascists and um (laughs) it's not super overt in the game but you Mm -hmm. will definitely um the theme is you made a bad bargain and now you're stuck in it and you need to get out which is something all of us have encountered at some point whether it's a relationship or a job or a literal debt. Yeah. Um, and within that, you have your coven who is supporting you because you've 
there are other witches, not many, but they do like to stick together. You have your coven and basically your deal is we will get we will stay with this until all of us are free. Um, so there's also this sense of community within darkness. Like there are people who have your back. They know where the bodies are. They will help you bury the bodies. They will fight whatever fight you get yourself into. And together you are going to get out of this mess that you kind of created yourself. I think that's good. I, I, it's one of those initial questions that an awful lot of game designers need to ask. And we can sort of dovetail this into legend lore in a little bit, I'm sure. But the, the quandary of what makes our party stay together is something that comes up in a lot of games but doesn't always get addressed. The especially a game that involves things like curses and incredible, uh, I guess, character stories. That let, let, taking your game for an example, uh, a character that makes a demonic a demonic pact isn't necessarily going to be concerned with another character's demonic pact because they've got their own hell raining down on them. Uh, so having a, I guess, plot device in place, uh, elegant as it is that keeps a coven together is, well, I know it's a simple thing, but I think it's a very useful thing. It yeah. helps remove one of the obstacles to play. Yeah, absolutely. You're the you're the proletariat seizing the means of production. Exactly. For real use this time. Uh, and which also has an end game. Like, you get your soul back, uh, you might want to keep it, you might want to use it to do something with it. Uh, I don't want to spoil that. Or maybe you will die on the way there, but which is one of those games you can run it the campaign for as long as you want, but you are definitely working towards an end game scenario. At mm -hmm. one point, there will be this threshold where the coven is like, okay, we're ready. Let's go confront our demons and hope for the best. Okay, so yeah, shades of Wraith, shades of Promethean there. There's uh, yeah, a nice humanist element. Okay, well, uh, where can people find this game? Uh, well, we're currently on Kickstarter. Um, your best bet is to uh, just type in which fated souls, and then you will either find the first or second edition. If you happen to find the first, click through, you'll find the second because it's by the same creator. Or come find me on the internet because um, I've been promoting it like heck. Uh, the Kickstarter is doing very well. We're funded. Uh, we made our first stretch goal. We're very close to our second. We might have made it when this airs. Uh, it's uh, an add-on. It's a wooden Ouija board, um, like an actual one Ooh. that you can get in the game. And then our next stretch goal after that is um, an adventure written by Phil Sater Brokatos, who all of the mage fans in the room should recognize. I was going to say, this does sound very much like Sater's brand of game. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a reason we chose him as our first stretch goal author. Yeah. Oh, well, I hope it does incredibly well for you and the team, Steffi. And usually that's where we would end our episode, but I decided to turn things around, invert invert the polls and have our plug put at the front of the episode because, you know, I think people sometimes switch those things off and uh, we should all be supporting our respective projects. Uh, so... We were well. I mentioned that we can dovetail that idea of a group coming together into legend lore, and while we can do a, I guess, a brief overview of what legend lore is in a moment, uh, legend lore 
for the sake of the listeners, is one of those stories that, or one of those games, I should say, that comes almost pre-built with the with the we're all in this together atmosphere of we have all passed through to this other world together therefore we have shared this experience and that experience may be wondrous it may be disastrous it could be traumatic it could be exciting but those kind of communal experiences uh, whether you're looking at it from a sort of C.S. Lewis Narnia perspective D&D cartoon perspective of we have essentially all pass through this portal into this amazing world well you immediately have a reason for unity and because you don't trust the world around you you don't know it well enough to to go outside your own little tribe uh, your your party of of characters so again again uh, it's something that i wholeheartedly recommend any gm listening if you want to run a game, think before you start about why your characters are actually working together and what will keep them together. Uh, some games have that kind of thing inbuilt. But Legend Lore, yes. Yeah, yeah, and Legend Lore also has, because you all want to get home, so there's mm. also an element of, do you like that person? No. Do you have the same goal? Yes. Do you have better odds with numbers? Also, yes. So, you know, let's just go at it. It's you could you could even drop two enemies in the game and have them have this weird truth like okay I'll kill you once we get home but for now just let's get home, which is always fantastic. Uh, the there's so many role players that want to play the lone wolf or the begrudging mercenary. Uh, it's probably fewer role players now than when we first started getting into gaming. I remember there was always at least one role player who wanted to be the character sat in the corner hunched over not talking to anyone yep uh, but uh, but we'll uh, flick their adamantine claws out when it's time to fight it creates interesting party dynamics to have a character who isn't necessarily of the same alignment if you will the same clan the same sect or whatever game you happen to be playing and you can engineer it so that those characters will still work together. Uh, and if it was cinematic, really, it depends on how you want to end things or how the players want to end things. Quite often, once they all get to the exit, once they all pass through to their home world, they may just shake hands and agree to fight another day. Uh, so let's, uh, I, again, bopping all over the place, but let's briefly give the listeners an overview of a lot, what Legend Lore is, because it is Legend Lore Month at Onyx Path. It is 90% off of our Legend Lore books. So what is the Legend Lore RPG? Uh, Legend Lore, at its most basic, is a game where you, as yourself, cross into a magical world called the Realm. And then you have many adventures while trying to find your way home. Um, it's a bit like uh, the Sliders or the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, if anybody remembers that. I'm dating myself here. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so that is the base experience. But uh, we have also seen people use it with great effect as a one-shot in a recurring campaign um, where they would be like, so we're playing uh, Werewolf or Vampire. And we, our vampire characters, all get sucked into this this magical world. And now we are clerics and paladins, and things are really awkward. Um, I've also seen people use it as a crossover campaign, where you'll have like one person is playing uh, Ravenloft and somebody else is playing 
um, uh, Dragonlance and uh, yet somebody else is playing uh, Pugmire and they pull all of those characters together in the realm for one big crossover shared adventure. Um, but the core experience is uh, you get uh, to a magical world and you have uh, a lot of exploration. Um, uh, is it a combat game? I mean, yes, it's it's D and D fifth edition, but there's a very big element of exploration, finding out how this world works, and then eventually finding a way home. And then you know, you can either end the campaign there, or uh, make it a recurring thing where you cross back and forth. And it's interesting you mentioned the characters from different campaign settings and well, different games because the first Legend Lore game I ran, I said to my gaming group, how do you want to do this? Do you want to play versions of yourselves? And um, we then discussed, well, we're all, we've all played D&D at one point or another and most of us have a favourite campaign setting. So we ended up doing that version of Legend Lore where you have a character from Dark Sun, a character from the Forgotten Realms, a character from the Scarred Lands, and so on and so forth. Uh, and, you know, there's a certain Planescape feel to that when everyone passes through various portals and is forced to struggle together, but using the setting of the realm, which is a fully-fledged setting, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yes. It's it's we have a there's a we have a uh, we've uh, it's a gazette like a legend or gazette on the realm. Um, there are so many countries and adventure locations, and there's a history. Uh, there's a timeline. There's different people. Uh, they've had wars and peace, and yes, it's a fully fledged setting. You could just play um, a, a campaign that lasts many years without ever getting back home. Which is absolutely possible. Uh, it's based on the comics called Legend Law. Um, I think the original run is the Realm comics, but the, the overarching IP of the comics is called Legend Law. And uh, they definitely have characters in the comics who at some point are like, yeah, okay, let's not go home. Let's just stay here. Why would I want to go home uh, when I could be here and be a wizard? Uh, one of my uh, favorite TV shows, I guess, was one of the first premium dramas of the 21st century which was lost and obviously there are weak episodes of lost we we all know this and that no they're not all dead listeners if you if anyone comes to me and says they were dead all along or it was all a dream i will vault across the internet and uh take the taste out of your mouth as they say but uh, i feel very passionate about lost is my point but the uh, that show had the same idea the idea of we're in this place that defies expectation there are wonders and there are dangers here uh, we're here via disaster our plane crashed on this desert island and yet when it comes time to actually escape the island some of them realize oh uh, we actually prefer our lives here yeah. the the sense of adventure or the fact that i've got nothing home to go back to or or whatever the various character motivation is, uh, exists in legend lore as well. It's one of those... There's a lot of inspirational sources that go beyond the expected. I think we often refer people to the D&D cartoon because it has that uh, role-playing overlap. But there are so many stories of characters, oh, lost in space, if you want, where people the protagonists are sent into a world they don't expect 
And as they come to terms with it, some of them find they enjoy it. Some of them find that this is the the world for them. Absolutely. I've I've run legend lore at conventions, and I always end with you find the crossing, do you go or not? And uh, do you go back to Earth? And I will say that nothing touches my heart more than when the players at the table go, actually, we're going to stay. And I I love that because as a creator, that tells me that they really, they love this world. Yeah, uh, I, I, I completely agree. I think that that is a wonderful proposition to, to put on the players at the end. It, it asks them through the lens of their character to to look back on the last three or four hours of gameplay and essentially say did you enjoy this which and it's a, it's a quite a sly way of doing it you know you're not breaking character by <laughs> yes. asking uh, and uh, yeah i guess it it might be a bit uh, heartbreaking if a player says oh god no i'm getting the hell out of here but at the same time if they do it in character and their character has perfectly good reasons then that that's fine too uh, so uh, I, I anticipate that there will be a fair number of listeners to our podcast. I mean, we, we get, we, would you believe it, listeners? I checked the numbers not that long ago. We get hundreds of listeners per episode. I had no idea that we were above double digits, and that may sound pathetic to you. I don't know. But I just, I while I'm usually plugged into data, data interests me. When it comes to the podcast, I've stayed largely oblivious for the best part of however many years we've been running this. And it turns out we get several hundred listeners an episode. Sometimes we get into thousands with particularly popular topics. And with that said, I know that there will be some of you who already know what Legend Lore is. They probably already backed it on Kickstarter or they've purchased it in our 90% off sale. It is only 10% of its regular price, so it probably costs about $2 to buy thereabouts, which is frankly ridiculous for a book of this size and scope. But I decided before we started recording this episode that we would give you something new. That Steffi and I wouldn't just talk about the greatest hits of the Legend Lore core book, because we've done that. We've spoken about the Legend Lore core book and what you can do with it a fair amount. There's plenty of places you can listen to that information. So what I thought we would discuss instead is an upcoming Legend Lore release, Legacies of Earth which is uh, on the sort of art train right now. It is, it's approaching layout and getting released. Uh, it is part of the schedule, Onyx Path. But one thing we haven't discussed with people is this book's content. So rather than going for an overview, I'm going to ask for some very pointed, uh, some very pointed questions about Legacies of Earth, if that's all right oh. with you, Stephanie. Yes, let's go. All right, then. So Legacies of Earth in the first part, deals an awful lot with crossings, which we've discussed a little, uh, at least what a crossing does, but not necessarily what a crossing is. So, first of all, uh, can, we, can you tell me about some of the different crossings in Legacies of Earth? Yes. Um, let me recap what a crossing is for the people who are listening to this who don't know. A crossing is very simply the realm and Earth are very adjacent in the I don't know, metasphere of the universes. And occasionally they, they touch um, uh, and things fall through from one to the other place. Uh, and that is a crossing. Um, so you can get from the realm to Earth or from Earth to the realm, it's a crossing. Uh, we have a, a ton of them 
in um, in the in the new legacies book. Um, uh, some of my favorites are uh, I'm a horror writer. Matthew is a horror writer. Um, <laughs> I love the thirteenth hour because it's the spooky one. So mm. you're at home. It's dark. Maybe it's Halloween. Maybe it's the winter solstice. Um, and you've been hanging out with your friends. Uh, you've been watching a scary movie and eating popcorn. And then uh, as the evening takes by, the clock strikes 13. And um, and as that happens, you cross into uh, the realm. Um, but the specific um, drawback or advantage of the 13th hour crossing is that it will drop you in a uh, a horror location because there are several countries in in the realm that are inhabited by night creatures or um or evil demons and things like that and uh, the 13th hour is specifically designed to drop you in one of those um, it's perfect if you want to run a horror one shot for yeah like well halloween we're a little late but um <laughs> um but it, it will drop you there so it's a very specific vibe that you're going for if you use that one and I, and I love that because it's less a crossing can take you anywhere and I love the specific ones that go like yeah uh, except this one puts you in the middle of zombies or demons or vampires or ghosts or something else that is going to try to eat your soul mm-hmm. uh, and I love the specificity and I also love the idea of the 13th hour because it's it's a classic you see it in more places uh, we, we didn't completely come up with this on our own but um, I find it very powerful, just like um, like a, a leap a leap day. You know, there's this liminal space where you're like, hang on, did the clock just sound thirteen? Why why is the clock sounding thirteen? Well, well, yeah, I, and it it shows that crossings don't necessarily just have to be a, a physical crossing of a threshold. Yes, exactly. It it can be a liminal time. Hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's it is probably my favourite uh, crossing in or from Earth to the realm in this book, but for exactly the reasons you mentioned, and I think it is inspirational. I think that's what, and we'll get into some of these other crossings in a moment. But one thing again, unsolicited GM advice, but it is far more interesting as a as a GM uh, and as a player to make a character's transition to the realm part of the the excitement of the story and not just you open a door and you're there. You can run it like that. You can, of course, run it like that. But how much more interesting is it to, yeah, as you say, have the clock strike 13. Everything seems normal. or The colour seems saturated from the room all of a sudden and you feel compelled to check outside or open the window. <laughs> And all of a sudden, you're surrounded by wasteland and zombies. Yes, exactly. Mm. Uh, what other crossings do we have that you're particularly fond of? Um, we we have the escape room, which is uh, literally an escape room. Uh, but then at the end, there are two doors, um, and you get the chance of entering the realm or going back to Earth. Uh, and the escape room is called Enter the Realm. That's the actual name. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I love it is because it implies a deliberate, like somebody knows that there are crossings and somebody captured one and put it in an escape room. Like, yes. Like, what, what's going on there? Yeah, it's a bit um, sore, like, in, yes, in its way. Very, very, very. <laughs> um, and I mean, 
as written, it gives you the chance, it gives you the option of either going into the realm or not. Um, I, but you could also, as GM, just say, no, it, if you escape, you enter the realm. So it's one of those escape rooms where, you know, uh, out of the frying pan into the fire, mm. uh, you've escaped an hour even further from home. Um, but yeah, I, and also just, I love escape rooms. I could, I would absolutely just do a prelude where, where I'm like, hey, let's do an escape room. And then afterwards, anyway, so we're now starting a legend or campaign. <laughs> It's yeah, it's a good way of subverting expectations. Absolutely, um, but yeah, I, I love the word, the implication that somebody captured a crossing and turned it into an escape room deliberately. Like that is that is some shady, shady shenanigans. And... Well, yeah, it, it's got that Matrix feel of I'm now going to test you, and if you are worthy, you can get to the exit, even though they don't. Yeah, the applicant doesn't know they are being tested. Absolutely, yes. Hmm. Uh, and any others? Any others you want to highlight? Um, well, I mean, those are my two favorites. I know that you also like the staircase to nowhere. Um, I, I like do. that too. It's it's a it's a literal. There are legends about this. Urban legends. Um, I've written actually about this for a previous. I did not write these. The crossings were done by Megan Mackey. Let me just uh, promote for her. Uh, she's a fantastic writer. She has her own fiction series called the Lucky Devil series. She has other books. She is a um, she is such a committed writer. She always replies when I brainstorm with her. She's always like, you know, I'll drop her half an idea and then she just runs with it. Um, so this is her work. But uh, as it happens, I also used a staircase to nothing, to nowhere uh, in a different setting because um, there are urban. This is an existing urban legend that you will walk around in the woods or in in like uh, a city or um, a field, and there's a staircase that just leads up into the mm. sky uh, you will walk it and then the urban legend has it that people disappear and then um, uh, Megan used it to say that you know you are going into the realm um, and when that happens you actually you roll on a table you get random effects either bad effects or positive effects like you might end up blessed or you might end up cursed and things like that and then you exit into the realm and I, I like that um, that randomness that that you go in and it's not just you cross, but something physically or magically happened to you while you crossed. So now you are cursed or maybe you're blessed. Um, and so I like that. I like that part of it a lot. But I also like that it's an existing urban legend. Like, why wouldn't we use things from Earth as crossings? It, it mm. just makes so much sense to just use that. That, that is why I like it. I've got to yeah. admit yeah, and also the staircase to nowhere, the, the urban legend, it just freaks me out. I don't know why. Um, it's it's very visceral to just be walking in the woods and there's a fucking staircase. It's that. Uh, I, I, I get the same thing with uh, fairy doors, as at least they're called over here. You know, the, the doorways, some people will take the time to, to affix to trees in the woods. Yes. Especially if you're very deep in the woods. It's yeah. it's one thing for that to be close to a path. Fair enough, that feels very, very, very human interference. But yeah. if you have gone off the beaten track and yeah, then you find a fairy door. Yeah. That's when it feels a little weirder. Yeah, there's this one that circulates on the internet where somebody just um, they took the the trees, uh, the branches. They they kind of followed them, and it's a circle hmm. made out of branches. It's it's but it's such it it might be photoshopped. A bit, I don't know, but it's a perfect circle, 
and these branches are like thick thick like somebody spent a lot of time creating a perfectly circular door in the woods that is that is just scary whether it's supernatural or a human who did this for fun oh yeah it's uh it's unsettling i mean obviously we're, we're discussing legend law but these are the kind of folklore uh, whether you style as urban legend or rural folklore, depending on where you put these things, they also work incredibly well for things like the Chronicles of Darkness, where you know, with the God Machine Chronicle and such, where the that uncanny effect uh, is is a very good tool to use as a storyteller. It immediately puts the players on edge. Absolutely, yeah. One where... of my favorite things to do in a horror campaign is uh, to have the characters get on the subway and then drop them off at a station that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. See, I, when it's me in subways, I ensure that they notice they are the only individuals waiting to catch this train. It felt like the station was busy a moment ago, but yeah, you arrive just as the last train leaves. Now it's just you four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's a wonderful subversion of, like, something so mundane like taking the subway and then you're like oh shit well yeah i think there's also the buy-in the fact that the players are there to play a game they know something is going to happen and then it's a case of they're trying to catch you out they're trying to think okay is this it is this going to be the the moment we cross over or or where you throw a shog off at us yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, you discuss in Legacies briefly crossing solo or as a group. And we've obviously mentioned uh, somewhat the idea of group crossing being very good for party cohesiveness. Uh, what would you say are the merits of each method uh, for, um, for, from, sto- from a story perspective? Uh, from a story perspective, I, uh, I mean, assuming that you're not running a solo campaign, which is then you're obviously crossing solo, but the idea of uh, having people cross individually and then finding each other mid-game, I think it honestly depends on whether you like preludes or not. Mm. Um, Because the last thing you want is to have uh, five players uh, of which one is actively playing and four are sitting around watching somebody play. Like That is not a good dynamic. So if you're going to do a solo crossing, you are also committing to either a very short solo crossing. It's fine if you have people twiddle their thumbs for five minutes. That That's not, I mean, like, uh, but if, if this solo thing is going on for hours, uh, then you are committing to a prelude campaign where every player individually um, is going to get an hour of your time uh, where their character um, crosses alone and then explores the realm for an hour, maybe an hour and a half, uh, until they stumble back upon the group. Uh, and I'm I'm a huge proponent of, of preludes, actually, but you know it, it does. There's the time investment, uh, and if you don't want to run them for that reason, that is perfectly fine. Uh, but I love them because they allow you to seed um, drama, uh, like the person that you met in the realm that helped you, that you trust, who's your new dwarven bestie, is um, the same person that somebody else met, and they really want to kill them because that dwarf fucked them over. (laughs) Um, 
things things like that or conflicting goals where you like you want to save the princess and somebody else is like no no the princess is a dragon in disguise uh we need to kill the princess Mm. um so predators are perfect for that because um uh, you do want the entire group of course to be okay with this but because you usually run them at different times um Players don't know this about each other. They they will find out in game. They're like, holy shit! Wait, your dragon is my princess. You can't kill my princess. I like my princess. Um, so it allows you to see a bit of drama and a bit of um, personal motivation uh, where people are um, involved in their own thing instead of just uh, the group thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you bring them all together, and then you get that dynamic of. Um, maybe they are friends before, and now it's really awkward that your friend from Earth wants to kill your friend from the realm. Um, or maybe you were not friends before, but you do still have to work together to get out of here. Yeah. And and one of you is like, no, we can trust the princess. She's she's good. She'll help us. And the other person is like, we cannot trust the princess. The princess is a dragon who wants to eat us. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so I, I love Predators for that reason, because they allow you to see a lot of things that people will discover in-game. Yeah. Um, but there is there is the time investment that you're committing to. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, that's an excellent answer. And I, I'd like that to take us to a Crossing, appropriately, uh, to Realm Crossings. Uh, there are a lot detailed in this book. This is where characters cross from the realm back to Earth, and they're slightly different, uh, obviously, given that they are couched in a fantasy world. Uh, do you have a one in particular that stands out to you as your favourite from um, Legacies of Earth? Yeah, I do. I will say that a lot of the, the legacies from the realm to Earth actually deal directly with things that were lost from Earth, the explanation being that they fell into the realm, yeah, uh, which is why they were lost, but they still have that connection to Earth, so you can go back. So we have like um, uh, an abacus ring worn on the finger of the librarian of the lost uh, library of uh, Hamden One. Uh, my apologies if I mispronounce that. Uh, there's also the Amber Room in the Catherine Palace in, in Russia, which was lost. It was this gorgeous room made out of amber and leaf gold, and it was spectacular. It was called the Eighth Wonder of the World. Um, and, and they can't find it anymore. Yeah. Like they had to take it apart to move it. And then somewhere in World War Two, it was physically lost. Like, how do you lose a room? Um, anyway, it's in the realm. You can get into it, and if you get into it, you can cross back to Earth. Um, I, I love that. It, it's yes, we're taking Earth history, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. Like, let's connect Earth to to uh, the realm. But actually, my favorite is um, the Lady of Bath's Jane Austen novels. So, the Lady of Bath, uh, her legend lore collected Jane Austen novels. She has all the first editions of every novel and they were lost. Uh, and they were lost because they went into the realm where they ended up in the hands of different people. Uh, so you have to travel around and get all of these books. Uh, the reason I love them is because I love Jane Austen. I'm totally biased her. Me too. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, I would love it if somebody showed up at my doorstep and they were like, Steffi, I need to get your first edition copy of like it's jihad diary in order to get back to my home and i would be like oh my god that sounds amazing come in i want to know everything and yes you can have the book it's not a problem but i'm a kind person but there will also be people in the realm who are like well fuck you this is my book yeah i read that every night you can't have my first edition copy of pride and prejudice it's mine 
<laughs> and then you have to steal the book. Um, uh, that, uh, it's it's again another wonderful way of highlighting that crossings don't necessarily just have to be a big portal. Yeah, absolutely yeah. not. It can be a physical item. I think mm. my personal preference even is for the physical item because you can move it. Yeah. Uh, so there's that detective element of who the fuck has the novel? And then you have to go find it instead of, yeah, it's that door over there. Well, as a little activity uh, for the joy of the listeners and to show how, how spontaneous we aren't, uh, let's uh, let's see whether we can brainstorm a new crossing. And we'll just do for we'll, we'll just do one, I think, uh, based on the time that we have remaining. Uh, so, can we brainstorm a new crossing or one each together? Uh, if you were to come up with one, maybe following that those same parameters, not a simple a traditional gateway. Uh, it can either go from Earth to the realm or vice versa. Mm-hmm. If you were to to Come up with one off the top of your head with all this preamble I'm giving you now to warm you up. Yes. Uh, what what would you what would you go go with okay. if you were to run a game right now? Yes. Okay. Thank you for giving me that long intro because I have right. one now. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's a children's toy. It's a wooden animal carved uh, lovingly. Um, you find it, and written on the bottom of this wooden cat um, is a name in a in a language or a font that you don't recognize. Uh, fortunately, you are a nerd, and many of your friends are nerds, so you hit all of the alphabets, including the Klingon one and the Elven one. And finally, you translate the word, and it's a name. It's um, Amelia. And you speak the name Amelia, and immediately you and uh, whatever friends you happen to have near you are transported, bam, into the living room of a trollish woman um, who whose first reaction is who the fuck are you and why are you in my living room and whose second reaction is holy shit that's my childhood toy I lost that 20 years ago uh, because the reason it crossed is because this toy uh, fell from the realm into earth but it still remembered its owner it missed its owner so when you spoke the name of the owner it went back and it took you with them um, and this Uh, I would use to set up a campaign where half of the group is from Earth. Those are the people who were with you and you all uh, figured out what the hell this name was. And the other half are actually people from the realm. They're the trollish woman and her dwarven best friend and her elven roommate. And that, I think that would be a wonderful sentimental crossing, slightly whimsical. Uh, I think that would work really well for a campaign. And uh, then you would be like, okay, so now I'm in the different realm. I would like to go home. Mm-hmm. And the trollish woman and her friends would be like, well, I guess we kind of, it's not our fault, but I guess we are sort of adjacently involved. So we will help you find a way home. Oh, I like that. What I like in particular, and I don't know whether it's intentional, is knowing how much, how often you and I write horror. <laughs> I can immediately <laughs> apply a horror story to this this children's toy uh, that has passed through and is looking for its owner, essentially. Uh, so, yeah, I think you could play this in many different ways. And, yeah, and, and it, it does what I enjoy about crossings the most, which is it makes them an actual piece of the story. It isn't just a dimension door from one place to the other. This is 
a fundamental part of the tale you're telling. And I think that, and I can't overemphasize this enough, giving players and their characters an immediate hook that is reunite owner with object or find out what's at the, what is at the end of this passage or or find a way home is so incredibly useful for a new GM, let alone an experienced one. Uh, because yeah, immediately you have a you have investment from the players. Uh, they will be interested in this object and they will be fearful of losing it. So so I, I love that. Uh, so my one uh, is traditional for me. I'm going to go for a giant sea creature. Ah, yes. So I'm thinking rather than going for a crossing at the beginning of a game, I'm imagining a campaign that, uh, that stretches several sessions and so let's go with the age-old heist-like story, where they, where the characters have to canvas a castle, palace, chateau, something belonging to uh, an evil doer or, or mega-rich lord, and they can't get into the vault, and that means they can't get the artifact. But what they are able to discern what they're able to discover is there is a crossing point that will lead them there, but it does require entering the mouth of a colossal creature on Earth. So I would in, in, invoke Centipus from They Came From Beneath the Sea at this point to make for a, a crossing that entails actually being swallowed by a creature and hoping that you are not crushed, digested, (laughs) or otherwise mulched before you pass through, because this is literally the only way in and out of this vault. This is why it's the most secure vault in the realm. Uh, the, The man that built it said, no one would be foolish enough to to throw themselves into the belly of the beast in order to get here. And you could even have clues to it by the the vault is referred to as the belly, and no one knows why. Oh yeah, that's amazing. It's a bit like a Moby Dick, but instead of trying to kill the whale, you're like, please eat me. Yes, yeah, you're trying to make yourself appealing to the whale, <laughs> dressing yourself in kelp. Yeah, and it would be <laughs> even more ironic if if it's in the belly of a beast, is because it used to be like a portable, like an item crossing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and somebody finally made their way back earth, and they were like, "I have to get rid of this thing," so that nobody ever. So they oh, they just yeah. threw it into the mouth, like, "Oh, now it's gone. Nobody will ever find it." I threw it into Mount Doom. It's gone, and, mm-hmm. and now you are here, and you're like, "Ah, uh, shit! Why the fuck did you throw it into Mount Doom?" Yes. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Uh, okay, uh, so we'll move on from crossings uh, because Legacies of Earth does contain more than just crossings. I don't know if we'll get into its entire contents because we're spending a fair amount of time yes. waxing lyrical, which is fine. It, it's good that we're enthusiastic. I want to discuss legends briefly. So, uh, I mean, legends are part of the title of the game, Legend yes. Lord. Uh, they are the character facets, elements, epithets, if you will, that define a protagonist in part due to their deeds or because of a reputation they might they might gather around them, whether intentionally or not. Uh, what are legends mechanically and what are some of the options in this book? Uh, so what a legend is, is um, it's like 
it's a legend that metaphysically attaches itself to you when you cross. Uh, the player chooses it, obviously. Um, it's both a destiny and a path that you choose to walk. You could never do anything with your legend um, and then your destiny simply doesn't manifest, that's fine. But because it, it does want to manifest, what happens mechanically is there are actions that you can take that are in accordance with your legend, and then you get points that you can spend on uh, dice roll and uh, narrative effects and things like that. Um, so it's 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 a mechanic that uh, will, if, if you lean into it, it helps you be more of what you are. Uh, and if you resist it, yeah, then you resisted it. It's no, it, it can't force you, but it will mm -hmm. help you if you embrace it. Um, so there's um, this, for example, we have the Ashen Pillar, uh, who is they bury the dead. That is their basic um, task. They're also they put the dead to rest. So um, you could also be dealing with ghosts. Um, they're a bit like uh, the plague doctors of Earth. Like they they go around, they collect the corpses, they burn them to make sure that it's nobody else gets sick. That too, because Legend Lord does have a plague element going around. Mm. Um, and if that would be your legend, then you would get legend points um, if you fulfill those duties, if you do go somewhere and you bury the dead. Um, and you do go somewhere and you, you, you know, tend the victims of a plague um, and, and things like that, you would get points for that. Uh, you also get a reputation because people from the realm immediately, they've dealt with legends before uh, from different like the legends stay the same but the people attached to them change but they will immediately go oh an ashen pillar and if you show up they'll be like holy shit why do we need an ashen pillar this can't possibly bode well <laughs> <laughs> like somebody just showed up and the whole purpose is dealing with the dead you know it's not exactly yeah. a great omen and there will be entire villages who will boast like oh we've never been visited by a by an ashen ashen pillar because uh, we've never had it that bad uh, so it will be a point of pride to them that they've never needed you, and then you show up, and they're like, "Fuck," or they might even go like, "You're not the Ashen Pillar because they don't exist. I've never seen one." Yeah. Um, so it's it's a bit of a reputation uh, mechanic, and there's and there's a boost mechanic if you do what you're supposed to do according to your legend. Uh, you you also get skills from them, obviously, because your legend will be like, "Yeah, you you know what you need as um as Ashen Pillar." Uh, some people skills and maybe some medical skills and things like that um, and um, and that is how it manifests uh, the legend excellent well it's uh, it reminds me a little of it reminds me a little of prestige classes if we look all the way back to third 3.5 edition Pathfinder-like thing. It's a way of highly specifying your character, except it's less structured, it's less rigid than that. And I think there are really fun elements of legend lore that, that allows your character to essentially carry their deeds around with them. Yeah, exactly. And you, you can dovetail them very... Because an, an Ashen Pillar, a, a Paladin would make sense, a Cleric would make sense... But you can also choose something completely opposite, like you're a warrior and also an ashen pillar. Mm. Um, so you would physically fight, but after the battle is over, you you go around uh, making sure that everybody who died in this battle, um, you know, uh, peacefully departs mortal realm. Um, so I like that you can either, you know, go for the obvious combination or just go for something that makes people, well, that's weird. Yeah, uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a warrior. I... 
as it happens, a lot of people tend to die around me um, because I stab them with my sword. But let's not get into that. Anyway, they die, and then I make sure they are properly buried. I think uh, it's it's one of those really satisfying things as a role player or as someone who engages with a story at any level when a character earns a well earns a legend earns a title if you have accomplished something in a story especially as part of a campaign and then for the next x number of sessions you are known for that it it genuinely provides a feeling to the player of satisfaction that wow that was meaningful and and yeah, it then provides a motivation, a drive to continue acting in that way. Or if the reputation is negative, maybe you don't want this legend attached to you. Perhaps it's mis- been misattributed. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's something that the player chooses. Mm. Um, but some players absolutely they love to fuck over their characters every chance they get. So you could absolutely be that that you come into a village and uh, there's a village eldest who goes like oh my god you're the ashen pillar and you're like what's an ashen pillar so they explain it to you and then you're like no why am I the ashen pillar I don't like this Um, (laughs) and as long as the player is having fun with that and leaning into that it is fine if the characters go like I hate my legend I do not want to be the ashen pillar and meanwhile destiny in the form of both the GM and the player are constantly pushing them like you know no, this is this is your destiny. You should embrace that, and hopefully, at the end of the road, you get to some sort of conclusion where where the character leans in and they're like, "Fine." It's a bit like um like like Avatar, you know that that he how Ang spends how many books going like, "I'm not the Avatar. I'm just an airbender who likes to have fun." Yeah. At meanwhile, you know, everything around him is going to shit, and people are like, "You're the Avatar. Act like it." <laughs> Uh, well, I, I'm going to skip us doing another brainstorm, Steffi, I'm afraid, as much as I love doing brainstorms. Oh, yeah, we've been at it for a while. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'll jump on to magical items and strange things, if that's all right, because yes. the one thing Legacies of Earth isn't short on is is new relics, artifacts, magical items, strange things, and such for incorporation into a story. Now, we've mentioned this briefly, especially with your brainstorming of a crossing, how important an item can be in in a game like Legend or in any fantasy campaign. Uh, why not tell us about a few of the ones that appear in this book? Yes. Um, so first I should say that one of the um, design core values that I've had from, from Legend from, right from the beginning is that I wanted it to be very inclusive because the game is about you crossing over and becoming uh, another version of you. Yeah. And I wanted to, that to be available um, for everyone. And I uh, happen to be fortunate I'm able-bodied, but I wanted people who are not um, or who might be uh, blind. Uh, well, admittedly, if I lost my glasses, I think I would be almost legally. Um, uh, but yeah, people who are blind or deaf or in a wheelchair, for them to cross and then to choose whether your character uh, takes that with them or not. Yeah. Um, because it's not up to me to say, I would love to lose my glasses, but I, I can also imagine that there are people who are like, no, that's that's a core part of me. I want to keep them. Uh, so we wanted to facilitate that. We have that. We have that right baked into the core book. We have this amazing art of Anaja, who is a uh, dwarven uh, cleric who is in a wheelchair. Um, but because of that commitment that we had earlier on, we have uh, several uh, ability aids in the core book, and we 
uh, wanted to do more of them. We have a lot of items, they're not all mobility aids, but some of them uh, are. We hired uh, Sarah Thompson, who did the um, the combat wheelchair for D&D. If, if you're in the D&D Twitter sphere at all, you will have heard of this. Uh, but we hired her for this chapter because uh, uh, I, I want because one of the things I wanted in there was uh, our own version of the combat wheelchair. Um, and she did other items uh, who helped with the, the same thing. So, so she did the wheelchair. She did hover runes for it and allow it to float. Like it's not flying, but it is because there will always be people who are like, well, uh, if you're in a dungeon, how do you get around on your wheelchair? Well, first of all, if, if I was a, was an architect and I had people slap around giant stones in a dungeon all the time, there would be ramps everywhere. <laughs> yes, I, it is logical. And there are many, many monsters uh, that are without legs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, unless you expect them to stay on one level at all times, you have to provide some kind of facility for them to travel. But then again, maybe as a dungeon uh, keeper, you, you may want to impose those kinds of restrictions, which makes exactly. you a completely different kind of bastard. Yeah, exactly. But do continue. Yeah, so exactly. So if, if you happen to be in a dungeon of some asshole who didn't build ramps, uh, your, your wheelchair hovers. Yeah. Um, and you can go up and down the stairs like it's fine because we wanted that to be, we wanted you to we wanted players to be like, yeah, I'm in a wheelchair. I'm going to keep the wheelchair when I go into Legend Law, but not have to go through the logistics of, oh, God, there's another stair. Mm. It's fine. We've got you covered. Um, uh, we also have a, a box of voices, um, which is a recording device. It's like um, it's, it's a box and there are uh, um, there's like a triangle. That is the go button. And then there's a square. That's the stop button. Uh, Basically, it's a it's a tape recorder, but without the cassette tapes. Uh, it records voices. You can leave messages on it, and then somebody else can play it. Um, I would absolutely use that if I was the GM with a pre-recorded message already on it, and then yeah. have that part of the adventure plot. Um, but it, it's also it's a practical thing. You can take notes on it. You can you can use it as a poor man's auditory illusion, where you hide it. You know, you you have somebody scream into it, and you hide it as a distraction so that everybody else runs to the left and you sneak off to the right. Um, <laughs> uh, but I would absolutely, I would use it as a plot device to introduce some sort of mystery or a piece of knowledge. And also, who doesn't like a good tape recorder? Yeah, well, it's something I, uh, especially the players in my recent Delta Green campaign, one of my Patreon groups, have been discovering my love of creating cre creepy and riddling audio files. Like uh, uh, that, they find dropped around. You know, a, a, a having a box of voices that can, and again, this is me leaning on horror, lead the characters in a deadly direction, or 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 provide them salvation if they get the the riddle right, as it were, is is always fun. It's nice to have an audible last testament, especially if there's one that can be interpreted in more than one way. Uh, so, yeah, th this book is absolutely filled with these kinds of things, along with monsters, NPCs. There, there's, there is a lot in Legacies of Earth. It's a compact book, I would say, in terms of content, content because the developer, that's you, Steffi, and the writers have done a hell of a lot 
with a relatively low word count, which, which isn't to say that, again, that there's not much in it. It's they have made the absolute best use of the word count they can. And I on- honestly think that sometimes as a designer, as a developer, that it is better to have a team try and conform to a low word count and get their best out rather than giving them more words than they probably need. Yeah, exactly. Uh, where, yeah, they start becoming a bit flowery or wondering yep. how to fill in this, the gaps. Exactly. No, the the, the writers, um, they are, uh, let me name all because I've already named Megan and Sarah. Uh, the other two are Kit Page, who did The Legends, and Travis Leg, Leggy? Leg, yep. Uh, who did uh, the NPCs and the creatures. Um, they did a lot with the word count, because I, I essentially told them, um, no, here's your assigned word count, and I want a minimum of so many, and I want a max of so many, because I did. there is this cap of, look, if you do more than that in the word count, um, we're basically just giving people one sentence descriptions. Yeah. Um, they they had a very nice medium, um, and they put so much into the word count. It's very, it gives you everything you need to know, um, without needless fluff. Like it'll tell you what the amber room is, and then it tells you how to use it, uh, but it doesn't go into needless handholding of, um, you know. We and we also assume like. We will we will tell you that so the amber room is a room in the in the in the Catherine Palace and it was lost. And then if you want to know more, uh, you can Google Amber Room. Um, but we tell you what you need to know to use it in the game. And if you want to know the full history of the amber room, that's on you. You can call that. I have a theory about the amber room, Steffi. Oh yeah, tell me. I love I love this. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, if it wasn't the absolutely mundane reason of it in, got entirely broken up by Nazis, I think yeah, uh, I think the Nazis stole it. Yeah, but... um, or uh, if if the Nazis didn't get hold of it, if it wasn't entirely broken up by um, by a corrupt Soviet apparatchik system, uh, I I have a feeling it's in a train carriage somewhere, a series of train carriages that were hidden in a tunnel. Uh, during the Second World War, and that tunnel was either closed up, as in a railway tunnel, mm-hmm. uh, and it was either closed up or it's just in the in the countryside, and it's one of these just decaying pieces of, I guess, of urban environment in the middle of nowhere. That, they, that uh, whoever was responsible for clearing out the palace ensured that it would be sent out in the direction of Siberia, uh, somewhere that no one was going to be finding it, and then they either died because they were the only person entrusted with it, or they lost track of where it was on that line, and who knows, they probably got purged after the Second World War. Yeah, because because there are absolutely there are more art treasures from that period that are still missing that we yeah. know that either people, uh, either the Nazis stole and put on a train or in a warehouse, or or the Russians or mm-hmm. you know, the French or the Dutch. Uh, tried to put on a train in order to save it, and there are still there are still items lost. And uh, yeah, I feel the same. It's probably in a warehouse somewhere or on a train. But then there's also the how many how many tr- how many warehouses are there that nobody has found it yet? Well, I think the the best possible answer, not that it's a good one, but the most realistic one in that respect is 
it wasn't just trains, it was also ships. There was a lot of people trying to get their goods, their valuables out by ships across the Baltic and ultimately the North Sea and may have well thought, if I get my, my stuff to Scandinavia or to America, it will be safe. And it just so happened to be another piece of cargo in a hold of a ship that got uh, blown up by U-boats. Yeah, yeah, that's entirely possible. That's entirely possible. Um, a, a, a rather sad ending uh, that may one day be discovered by intrepid divers, but on the other hand, may not. Uh, well, with all that said, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll do a conspiracy theory episode another time. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> uh, we have passed the hour mark, so Steffi... Uh, you, by all means, promote your game again, uh, or alternatively, you can just point people to social media. But where should people go if they want to look for you, and what should they be looking for? Uh, so, if people want to look for me, the easiest is to go to my Twitter. Uh, you know, assuming it still exists. By That's the good. Time the we good a good caveat to add. Yes, <laughs> um, it is one hundred things I love, and one hundred is just a number. Uh, you could also, in a pinch, find me on Facebook under my name, Steffi Devan, but I will say that I, uh, if I don't know you and you don't send me a message, that's a no. Uh, you know, Twitter is your best bet, assuming that we're still there by then. Uh, you will find the uh, Witch uh, Kickstarter promoted all over my Twitter. Um, please go check it out. I, it's an amazing game, uh, and uh, the price is very reasonable, and honestly, uh, we all need more Ouija boards in our house. But the, you know, if something happens to you, if you use it, that's not on me. But um, <laughs> you, you should have one. Yes, uh, the, the customer takes the risk, I think. Yes, Buyer exactly. beware. Yes, the store takes no responsibility for any ghosts, demons, or hauntings that you have caused by using our Ouija board. Well, I'm glad you've covered yourself in that regard. I'll yes. extend that coverage to the Onyx Pathcast. We are in no way advocating summoning the dead. Uh, communing with them, fine. Uh, bring them from from the grave and let them loose. Probably a bad idea, but if you want to do it, that's on you. We, yes. we can't and, encourage and, it. And also, we don't encourage it. But if you do, please tell us what happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to know your stories. Uh, and they can find me on Twitter at DawkinsMP for as long as it lasts. You can find me on MatthewDawkins.com if that fails. And uh, otherwise, find me on the Onyx Path Discord. Onyx Path Discord, genuinely the best place to go to get the updates on all of our games. Uh, and finally, the onyxpath.com, where every Monday or Tuesday, if you happen to be in Europe, you will find a new blog uh, updating our moving projects and the things we're working on presently. So thank you very much, Steffi, for guesting on this episode. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. I love it. Let's do it again. Uh, we will. We will. And thank you very much, listeners, for listening. Many worlds, one